trying harder and harder and harder works until it doesn't, until you break. So you have to find a way of being able to survive and relax when things are bad rather than rather than pushing harder so that the tension that you're feeling reduces and therefore you can continue to flow more rather than keep pushing under tension. Lend me your ears. <laughs> this nation will rise up. Welcome to the Elemental Health Podcast. Welcome back to the Elemental Health Podcast. My name is Nick Quinton. I am your host. And as always, I have got an amazing guest for you this week. Um, We have got uh, an expert in the field of strength coaching, a uh, a guy I look to as a kind of mentor uh, and friend uh, in, in the strength uh, space and a, a guy that is is just just basically a badass as far as I, I'm concerned um, but at the same time he's a straight talking no nonsense northern lad uh, which is if you're not from the UK you probably won't know what that means but uh, you, you'll see as we get into the nitty gritty um, very direct very straight talking and has been in the game for a long long time um, and has really got a very deep developed understanding about what's required to get strong, stay strong as you get older and build strength. Um, those are probably the key key things that, that, that I think to uh, with with this guy. And also um, he, he's kind of pushing the limits of, of what what you know a lot of people will call functional fitness and, and looking at some of the tools and, and some of the some of the interesting um, and creative ways to, to maintain strength um, without further ado guys this week we have got the amazing Matt Shaw um, and we have a, a wide-ranging conversation and we look at some of the successes and failures in his life and uh, how he's built this this resilient strong body and continues to develop and improve and and build in the coaching space and lots of uh, tools and tactics for you guys to take away because i know that's what you like um thank you very much for listening in um thank you very much for supporting the podcast uh 2021 for me is about energy and mobility if you're interested in those things then you can go to elementalhealth.co elementalhealth.co and find out more about the free challenge that i'm running um this year and get involved and, and learn more about my coaching without further ado here is the legendary matt Shaw. Matt Shaw, welcome to the Elemental Health Podcast. Um, the audience has had a little bit of an insight into your background, but you know, I, I look at you as someone, to, uh, the go-to guy, um, whether it be on, on social media or to have a chat with when it comes to strength training, but more than that, kind of this, this notion of, of functional training that everyone's got in their heads become quite a popular phrase more recently you know I, I see you really kind of breaking barriers in that space and also utilizing some of the tools that that not only look pretty cool but um but 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 i see as as, as putting together the different components of strength that may be leaving behind some of the traditional dogmas that we've got so i, I don't know where to start i've also you know the the the, the mountaineer experience i'd love to chat to you about as well so um I guess let, let's start by just hearing kind of where you are at the moment in terms of your coaching um, and, and what's exciting for you at the moment and what, what things look like. Yeah, thanks for the introduction, Nick. Uh, appreciate that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you know, my what's going on for me right now? Well, you know, I work with a range of different clients in a range of different ways. 
And one of the things that excites me the most is literally the fact that I work with such a diverse range of people that uh, my, my work never gets boring. And it varies from, you know, people who want to, you know, maybe lose a few pounds right the way through to elite level athletes, to people who want to compete and do things, you know, uh, do special events like the fan dance. Um, it, it's just a massively varied um, approach and also direction as well with everything that's happened this year. You know, I, I see people one-to-one, both face-to-face, but also more time in recent times uh, online through Zoom. Um, I've, I also work with uh, coaches remote uh, program, uh, sorry, remote programming as well, online webinars, face-to-face workshops, uh, courses. So I've got lots of plates that I'm kind of spinning, which I really enjoy because that variety is the kind of thing that excites me and stops anything getting too tedious, you know. And okay, mate, yeah, loads you said in there that, that I'd love to unpack, especially from a, what, what you think is going on in the industry perspective, and maybe we'll get to that. But I think so. The fundamentally, sorry, I'm some lighting issues. Here. Fine. Um, the fundamentally, what's you know. You, you I, how do you see yourself in terms of your own personal training because i know you 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 like to be kind of a fit as i do fit and primed for what life might have to throw at you and in your yeah. case it, it might be climbing you know a, a six thousand seven thousand meter peak um also lifting heavy and all the other components so what what are your kind of fundamentals your non-negotiables when it comes to staying in in good condition and being ready for whatever you might want to jump into yeah, well, I mean, my um, for me, uh, Nick, you know, I've always been involved in uh, physical training. You know, I've been an athlete all of my life from, you know, when I was a kid as a competitive swimmer, right the way through the multitude of sports that I've done over the years to, you know, to pretty high, high levels. So really for me, <clears throat> you know, the non-negotiable is, is that I know that training forms a fundamental part of my life, that if it isn't there, then I don't feel or operate as well as I can. And um, I was having a chat with a client of mine today about this idea of, you know, not really feeling like training. And more often than not, that quite often is me, you know, is yes, I'm a coach. Yes, I'm a performance coach. Yes, I'm a personal trainer. Yes, I'm an athlete. Doesn't mean I always feel like tearing it up in the gym. <laughs> Nine times out of 10, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad, you know, my son doesn't, doesn't live with me, but I have him a fair bit. I've got a busy business. I train a lot. I support a lot of people. You know, my lifestyle is a hectic one. But I know that fundamentally the training is something that I make the time for because even though I might not, um, excuse me, um, at the time particularly want to do it or have the energy to do it, what I focus on the most is what it's going to give me, which is once the session is complete or once the sessions over time are complete. Um, but in terms of, you know, what I aim for is I'm very much... Uh, you know, I, I listen to my gut a lot and I listen to what I feel drawn to. And that tends to be things like, you know, the, the Aconcagua experience. Um, earlier in the year, it was trying to improve my time on the ski erg for a, for a 7K because I was locked down and that's what the kit I had available. Just recently, the last four weeks, I've taken on the fact that I wanted to see how much um, body fat I could lose in the last four weeks going into Christmas to see what I could achieve. I always have something that I'm working towards and that's the thing that keeps me ultimately showing up. But um, the crux of it all really is for me to be as healthy, fit, strong, all round conditioned, 
as long as possible, pain-free, you know, going as far into my life as I can. I'm 46 now and I'm in some of the best shape I've ever been in. Um, and that's, you know, that's because I, I kind of listen to my body and, and train based upon how I'm feeling and what I want to do. That's, yeah, man. And that's, 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 that's my ethos as well. I think I'm 41 now and, and I'm, I think this hasn't been the, 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 the pinnacle of my, my health and fitness. I'm still moving forward and I'm still yeah. taking massive bounds and I, I, I'm of that ethos. And I, that's, you know, that's when, when I'm chatting to guys. So what, what paradigms need to change, do you think, for people to, to get that understanding that they can continue to get stronger, continue to get fitter into their 40s versus, you know, because I think a lot of guys I speak to and I, you know, I try to talk to this when I'm when I'm kind of yeah. um, getting new guys in and stuff is, is this notion that, you know, people tend to, I don't know the conversations you, you might have, but the conversations I often have um, is people come in and say, oh, yeah, well, I used to do, I used to play rugby, I used to play football in my 20s and I was quite yeah. fit, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just want to kind of lose a bit of fat and get in better mm-hmm. shape. And for me, that's kind of like, well, first, it's not very really aspirational. You're not, you're not really seeking out something that's going to keep you motivated and keep you kind yeah. of pounding forwards. But more importantly, I, I don't actually think this often isn't the case. I think the, the notion of what, what they were in their 20s, and I speak from my personal experience as well. Yeah, I was yeah. playing a lot of rugby, but I wasn't that yeah. fit. I wasn't as strong as I am now. Yeah. And, and then things have got worse. So there's a bit of un, mental kind of unwinding to be done there. So yeah, yeah. You know, what's, what's, what needs to change in people's kind of idea of who they are? And you know, what, what, what was your kind of, a process of understanding that you could continue to get fitter and stronger has that always been the case for you um it's always i always look at it nick as just a process of trying to do the best that you can do and the best that you can be and it's not always about pushing forward you know when i my first attempt on Aconcagua, or when i almost didn't make it off the mountain when i came back from that for a few months i felt fine afterwards the repercussions of almost dying and how deep i had to dig and do in terms of doing that my body was absolutely racked with pain i'd been trying to pick up my training to train for the summer fan dance once i got back from aconcagua did that for a few months and my body was just by by the may my body would every day i'd wake up my knees hurt my back hurt my hips hurt i'd lost range of motion in my hips i was tired all the time i didn't want to train and I recognised that as the fact that I hadn't given myself the time when I came back from Aconcagua to ultimately rest and recover. So in doing that, uh, I just let go of the, the idea of pushing on for the fan dance, took myself out of the race, let go of that. I just focused on doing very light mace work and just trying to basically heal myself. So the goal ultimately was one that I had to abandon. And I think sometimes as trainers, we can be focused on this idea that our clients have to have goals, but actually sometimes a client doesn't even know what the hell they want. They just know that they want to feel a bit better in some way. And so what I like to do or my mindset in terms of that is, well, okay, if somebody doesn't know what we want to do, we want to just keep training fun and interesting. So they've got the motivation to want to be able to turn up regularly to do that session or those sessions and then something will emerge from there so if somebody might decide that they start to really enjoy doing squats and hey you know why don't i want to i want to see what performance goal i can do with a squat or you might get somebody who starts to do a bit of running starts to feel pretty good and then they're like actually i feel like doing like a 10k or a half marathon the plan emerges without trying to shoehorn somebody into a plan and it just comes about from conversations and 
you know, sometimes I, I'm a big believer in the in the uh, the idea that if we don't know where we're going in life and we're at a point a point of crossroads, sometimes all we need to do is just stand still and be patient for a while and wait for the right way to emerge. And I think one of the biggest problems in the industry is people talk about being goal driven all the time. And actually, not everybody needs a goal. You know, some people, the goal can be just turning up a little bit every day. You know, even if it's doing like a non-negotiable of 10 kettlebell swings once a day, every day. Well, if somebody's not been doing any kettlebell swings at all and they manage to stack that together for a couple of months, all of a sudden that's a load of kettlebell swings there that they've gotten done, which they wouldn't normally do. Therefore, they've progressed Therefore, there's a goal that somebody can work towards, no matter how busy your life is. There's always something that can be done, even if it seems like it's the tiniest thing ever is if you've not been doing it and you start doing something further down the line, all of those things that you've been doing are going to add up. And that's the biggest thing, I think, is is the, the conversations and relationships you have with your clients and not trying to shoehorn them into where you think they should go and letting it kind of develop organically through the conversations that you have without trying to push them into, let's work on this. Invariably, the right way will emerge if somebody doesn't know what they want to do at the outset. It will just come through the process of them feeling fitter and training. Yeah. And so do you see having that support of a coach or someone there to, 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 to support you through that process is, is vital then? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, mate, it can be, you know, I think the thing is, is sometimes you might get a client who comes to you that um, they have an idea that this is what they think they want to do. But if you begin to then ask certain questions about why they want to achieve that and unpick it, you might be able to see that maybe they're trying to prove themselves in some way. Well, maybe that goal then isn't the best one to move forward with if they've got that psychological need to prove maybe it's better to kind of look underneath that and start to unpick that and quite often what would happen is somebody might go along the road trying to achieve a particular goal and always fall short well maybe they're falling short because they're doing the goal for the wrong reason they're trying to get recognition or some kind of self-acceptance or whatever it is and searching for a goal when actually the answers don't lie in the external thing it involves some introspection and doing some internal work on being okay with where you're at and where you're going instead of attaching an outcome to a particular goal and thinking once I've got there, everything's going to feel great. Chances are you'll get there and nothing changes. And I've, I've been through that process myself, which is why I understand it. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. And, and that, that speaks to um, kind of the coaching cycle really, isn't it? I think it's, yeah. you, you've got to really understand yourself really well before yeah. you can go out and then, and kind of help people. And, and yeah, I've, I've been there and, and, you know, that having that intrinsic nature of, of what you're seeking out is, is yeah. absolutely vital. And, and I, all the people that I've coached, um, I don't think anyone's made good progress without that intrinsic kind of understanding of their own identity and where they want to take it to and, and what it means to them and, and, and get that grounded first. You know, um, Dan John talks about this AB concept. You, you need to know, obviously, B, where you're going to. That needs to be clear. Lots of people don't really understand that, which you yeah. touched on. Yeah. But more importantly, if you don't understand point A, you know, where you are at the moment and why you want to move to point B, you're not really going to make any progress. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, cool. Um, so, can you talk us through a little bit about the um, Aconcagua kind of the first 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 summit attempt? And are you happy to chat about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I mean that uh, it was uh, 2018 January. Uh, I went out there with uh, two friends of mine and another another guy who was um, 
who kind of uh, was part of the party. Um, and yeah, we went out there with a the goal of, you know, basically trekking. Aconcagua is a non-technical mountain, i.e. you can hike to the top, but it is incredibly high altitude, just under 7,000 metres high. People do die on it. Um, it's renowned really for its extreme weather in terms of cold and wind, which is two of the biggest challenges on it, in addition to the altitude as well. But we went out there on a, uh, we were out there for sort of three and a half weeks. Uh, we were on the mountain for 12 days, completely green, thought we had the right gear, didn't. Marched into base camp like some kind of, uh, you know, test march heroes, all coming down with um, uh, altitude sickness at base camp, feeling pretty rough. You know, savage weather we experienced at the time, you know, after we'd been in base camp for a few days, this weather came in. It was an El Nino year. We got a massive dump of snow, um, you know, really cold conditions. There's the uh, altitude side effects, sickness were just getting worse the higher we went. And, uh, and it was just a comedy of errors, really, of lack of experience and also being undergunned on the clothing for the, uh, the conditions. You know, we took out 6,000 metre boots, which in theory should have been enough. But on summit day <clears throat> from camp three uh, to as high as I got, which was 150 metres from the top, uh, the 6,000 metre boots on within two hours, I couldn't even feel my feet. And having never been in that situation before, it's like, you know, when, when do you actually turn around because of risk of frostbite and losing your toes? And, you know, when does this become a, you know, how long can you go before, you know, this becomes an issue? You know, we didn't have the answers. So, you know, we were kind of going into it green. And ultimately that led to me getting, you know, 150 metres from the top. But then really uh, my health taking a real turn for the worst. And I knew through this gut feeling and this inner voice that kept telling me to turn around, that I had to turn around because I was losing control of my legs. I was almost losing control of my bowels. Things were going pretty bad pretty quickly. And I recognised that as one of the major symptoms of, or some of the major symptoms of potential cerebral edema, which is a swelling of the brain, which can be fatal. So uh, anyway, I managed to get down off the mountain after an amazing struggle. None of us summited. Um, a guy had died at the top a few days previous from uh, a heart attack. Um, and yeah, just came away from it uh, seven kilos lighter in 12 days and uh, licking my wounds, basically disappointed not to get to the top. But then I kind of, uh, as I said, spent a year recovering after that with the pain in my body and just trying to heal myself, <clears throat> basically. And then uh, the year after that, which was the start of um, going into 2019, I just kind of had this kind of feeling that I was thinking about being ready to take on the challenge again. But I decided that I wanted to go out there and do it on my own, but with a, a group of, um, of elite Himalayan adventurers. So I went out there with Nims Dye and his crew from Elite Himalayan Adventures. Uh, he summited all 14, 8,000 metre peaks last year to set a world record in just under seven months, which was phenomenal. Um, so I wanted to go out there with the main man and uh, have another go. So I went out this time and uh, prepared better, spent time in um, Brighton University Extreme Altitude Chamber training in the month before I went out, got an altitude tent at home, which I was sleeping in every night for a month and uh, and just did way better prep. And so therefore my experience this time around also helped by the weather because the weather was completely different. Um, managed to summit on the 16th of Jan earlier this year. Mm, congratulations. Are, yeah, you, thanks, are, you, are, you, are you in a twisted way, are you glad that, that, that you went through that experience on the first summit or first, first attempt? 
I mean, what, what did you learn? What were the lessons for you? Uh, well, the learning was, uh, was um, firstly, just was lack of preparation. You know, should have done some altitude exposure before I went. Didn't just thought, you know, having, having, having never been to altitude, just had no idea. You just think, oh, I'm pretty strong, pretty fit. I'm going to get out there. And, but it's a leveler. You know, you can, have, you can be the fittest person in the world up there. And if you can't handle altitude, it doesn't matter how fit you are. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hit with a heavy stick. Um, so yeah, the prep was, there was a big one, uh, upgrading my kit was another, you know, so this time around I took 8,000 meter boots out there, which, uh, the guys at elite Himalayan adventure stipulated just in case, you know, the conditions are minus 50 the, when we went the first time, you know, you've got to have boots that you can get to the top of Everest within those kind of temperatures to avoid losing toes and so on. So upgraded the kit. And, uh, and yeah, I just thought that really it was going to be an easier acclimatization strategy, but as it happened, it was absolutely savage this time around because the weather window was such that we spent a long time in base camp and we just didn't do the acclimatization treks progressively higher. And then coming down, I thought that the initial plan had outlined we were going to do. Instead, we spent ages in base camp about seven days we did one acclimatization trek to camp one and came down a few more days in base camp and then the weather window emerged and it was like right we're going to go to camp one spend the night camp two we're going to rest for a few hours then we're going to springboard and miss out camp three and go straight for the summit in one massive push so you were looking at going from 4,500 meters all the way up to just under seven in the space of uh, 36 hours and I was fearful of that because you know these trips cost a lot of money and what i didn't want to do was go out there fail again and then have to go back another time but as it happened uh, even though it was absolutely savage as hell managed to summit and uh, and came down victorious but you know the lessons that you learn mate is even just going to base camp and knowing what to expect in terms of you know, the water supply there instantly gives you the shits. Everybody's got, you know, to the toilet. It's, it's proper hard. You're dreading having to go. And it's, you know, multiple times a day. The food quality is poor. The air is obviously thin. It's, it's hardship. Mm. But knowing what to expect when you get out there is a massive advantage over those who've never been because mentally you're prepared for that. And, you, you know, you know, that's part of the deal. And, you know, if you've got that squared away, then anything over and above that, you can focus on dealing with that instead because you've got your grassroots expectations there sorted. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, that sounds sounds incredible. And I, I love the way you tell the story. Um, and the fact that you've kind of, you've failed, come home, regrouped, yeah. gone back out there and, and summited, even though it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a, a hugely challenging summit. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah. A, a, you know, the plan obviously doesn't face contact with the enemy, but but and you, you had to adapt and then take that massive, yeah. massive leap through, skipping through a camp. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It was I, huge. It was huge, mate, yeah. Limited understanding of high altitude. I've done Kilimanjaro three times, but <laughs> but that obviously is a thousand meters lower, um, which is you know, I can, uh, yeah, um, respect. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the guys who led the, uh, who were the, the team leaders, you know, they got a bit of criticism back in base camp from the acclimatization strategy saying it was, you know, possibly a little bit on the pushy side, possibly a little bit irresponsible. But the fact of the matter is, is everybody bar one person in our team summited on the 16th of January. And yes, you know, people were exhausted at the top, including myself, but that is the nature of the beast, you know, at 7,000 metres high. 
there's a reason they use Aconcagua as a good prep for uh, the altitude of Everest is because it is absolutely savage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the prep in the world, unless you're a Sherpa, you're going to find it tough up there for the most part. And it's so hard, I guess. It's so hard to balance when you're trying to organise that sort of expedition and it, trying to balance with the fatigue that you get just from being there. Yeah. Versus the acclimatisation of kind of bouncing up and down between camps. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, at some point you've just got to pull the plug and just go for it, haven't you? It's all hard, mate. Even even doing the acclimatisation tracks up and down, it's still exhausting. You know, it doesn't. It, it helps you to get better and tolerate it easier but it's still bloody hard work you know and that's and that's the thing is there's no easy way to the top one way or another you're going to suffer it's just how long it how long the suffering is and how healthy you're going to be when you come back down and that's the that's the thing yeah that's important factor why why was that attractive to you why why did you seek that out what more generally why do you seek out hardship i mean you just got Um, back from the hills haven't you yeah i mean it's it's uh i mean you know i wasn't aware of aconcagua until my mate rob blair at the commando temple he know him well one who um who kind of put the plan together initially but you know that experience with that and then me also training to become a, a mountain leader you know, I recognised what the mountains gave me. I, you know, competed in the fan dance multiple times in the Brecon Beacons. And, um, you know, I recognised in overcoming those challenges and racing in the fan dance what, you know, sustained harsh hardship can do. And I quite often say, you know, endurance training like that, endurance challenges taught me more about strength than strength training ever did. And I've competed at national level and uh, in powerlifting and you know if you really want to learn about strength and mental strength and resilience then you're going to find it more in really hard long tough endurance type things where you suffer for multiple days or for hours on end because you then find within yourself the kind of stuff that you're made of you know your ability to process discomfort your ability to have confidence that you can carry on that you're not just going to, you know, quit when it gets tough or, you know, the ability to clear your mind when you think you're going to quit and just be able to process that feeling and process it through so you can continue is that for me is where, you know, true personal growth lies is, and that's got massive carryover then into whatever you can do. Cause if you summited something like Aconcagua, where all of a sudden running over the fan dance and doing something in the Bracken Beacons doesn't quite seem as, as difficult because, your um, uh, your point of reference has completely changed. And so anything else beneath that then becomes relatively easy in comparison. And so your, your expectations shift on your own capabilities and what is hard and, and what you can tolerate. Yeah. And, um, I, I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you do as well. We, we get asked about sort of things, that, things like health, strength but also things things like um, you know energy and resilience and i think what you yeah. what you what you summed up there was uh, you know the way you build resilience isn't it really pushing pushing beyond what you think is capable keep challenging yourself yeah. seeking out those hardships and and suddenly you know whatever your day-to-day life is things things become much easier and suddenly yeah. you've got you've got space to think about the next opportunity you want to do or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think the thing with that, mate, is, you know, this idea of mental resilience, it's not just about just becoming a hard bastard, you know, is it's more about the processes that happen when you start to doubt yourself and your ability to let go of um, the self-doubt, let go of, you know, detach yourself from the discomfort and relax more rather than having a mindset of telling yourself to think in a different way 
because ultimately hardship tends to be, I think in my experience anyway, more of an in-body feeling. The brain processes the stuff, but when you're truly exhausted, it's well in your body and it's being able to stay in your body and go, is it a problem right now? Well, no, it's not. I can carry on. Well, therefore, it, you know, you can you can continue onwards. It's, it's the ability to, to go deeper within yourself and process and, re, and reason away rather than it just being push on, push on, push on, because, you know, people, people tend to crumble when just trying harder, trying harder and harder and harder works until it doesn't, until you break. So you have to find a way of being able to survive and relax when things are bad rather than, rather than pushing harder. It's not, it's not really, it's, it's difficult to explain. It's not really a push. It's more of a relax and come into ease so that the tension that you're feeling reduces and therefore you can continue to flow more rather than keep pushing under tension. I think that's a really, really interesting point and absolutely vital. Because I think I think a lot of people kind of look at maybe guys like like us, and I I, I get comments about it uh, with with my past. Um, but I, and I look to guys like you and Rob um, as you know really pushing the boundaries and as as these kind of like these these tough guys, whatever it might be that you're up to. But um, but I think that's such an important point that you raised there, and it is it is a little bit nebulous and a little bit kind of like tricky to get your head around but and and the the, the problem i think is is uh, lots of people have the narrative of of like oh they've been through x y and z wherever it might be they they're just hard they've hardened themselves so therefore yeah. that they they don't have those voices in their head they don't have that self-doubt they don't yeah. have to go through that process it's not yeah. hard for them kind of chat yeah. and what you summed up there is perfect really because you were saying no that it categorically isn't the case you yeah. still every time it is but you've just got a little bit of a different mechanism about understanding what's going on and you're going to allow allow that kind of that relaxation understanding how to find yeah. a flow through the challenge ahead of yourself ultimately nick i think it's it's basically like anything if you want to become really good at something you have to do that thing a lot and mental processes are a skill just as much as physical processes are now over the years i've done a heck of a lot of internal work on myself under the wing of a mentor and so I understand myself for the most part, absolutely implicitly. And I understand that, you know, in order to, um, to succeed in the things I want to do quite often, it's not necessarily a case of trying harder, but it's more about relaxing more and being able to just be still and let things emerge from a place of strong intent rather than trying to force things to happen at a pace that you think they should happen. Now that just comes about through practice and skill. It's not something that, you know, um, that you've either got or you haven't, anybody can develop it. It's just having a commitment to, okay, well, being mentally stronger is going to serve me well in the things that I want to do. So therefore I need to improve that skill of, you know, internal processing, internal reasoning, being able to let go of tension, being able to recognize tension, being able to think about what happens when pain manifests in the body and how to deal with that. You know, all of those things are things that ultimately limit and so therefore, if you become more skilled in dealing with that stuff, then your external expression of that becomes stronger through the physical output. Hmm. Yeah, I have to take a second to let that think that sinking, I think, for everyone listening. So it, yeah, it, and and it's so evident that that is the case when you when you talk to when you have these conversations, it really hmm. is. Um, and but and, and it's almost uh, to the detriment, I think, of our message is 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 that notion that you just need to, to toughen up and and kind of like face up, man up, whatever it might be. Yeah. 
Because hmm. ultimately, mate, that idea doesn't necessarily help people because it's like if somebody inherently doesn't feel tough, no amount of us telling them toughen up is going to help them. You know, even if you run them ragged and say this is for your mental toughness, you know, beasting somebody who's not on board with that is not going to make them more mentally tough. It's going to teach them to absolutely hate exercise and hate you and hate that experience so they never want to do it again. Instead, we have to, I think, as coaches, find ways of being able to almost reassure people that if you do X, Y, and Z, you can expect to see more of something else. Um, and, you know, let's face it, not everybody wants to be super tough. You know, a lot of this stuff transfers into just our day-to-day -day lives and how we think about things, you know, how we react to the situations, you know, how do we react to how we feel about things like, you know, the current situation we find ourselves in. How do we react when we feel like we've got no time in the day to, to be able to train? Well, can you do 30 seconds of swings? Probably, yes, you can. We'll start with that. If that's all you do, 30 seconds of swings, that's enough. Mm -hmm. You know, for me as a coach, if that's what you've done today, that's one step closer to where I would, you know, prefer to see you further down the line. You have to just strip it back into a, into a package that somebody can get on board with without them thinking they have to live up to your expectations as a coach or what you're doing or what they've seen on your Instagram or whatever else. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I reflect back to this time last year um, when my baby was just been born and, mm. you know, I, I was absolutely exhausted. And for me, a workout was two minutes of uh, yeah. kettlebell snatches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was it. Yeah. But, yeah. but, you know, mate, if you do two minutes a day, seven days a week, you've got, you know, 15 minutes there of training that ordinarily wouldn't happen. And if you do that 15 minutes of training every single week for a year, that's a whole host of training there that you've done without it really impacting on your day at all, but probably wouldn't have happened under normal circumstances. Well, that there, I say, is a great thing because you've done something for yourself there that's going to help move you forward. And if you do that a few years down the line, all of those two minutes add up. Mm. I think that's what we need to look at as coaches is a very long time frame of what have you done for most of the time or more often than not in the last 12 months. When you look at that, that's where real progress lies because you can begin to then unpick where people fall short, but also show them ways and means of being able to do stuff that's really achievable that they can get on board with that actually doesn't have to take too much time at all. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's so important. Okay, let's switch for a little bit. Um, okay, so tools and tactics, you know, I, I see you kind of like experimenting with different kind of weapons of fitness, whatever they might be, but you've got, you've got some, some go-to. So, you know, things like the kettlebell, the mace bell, yeah. things that you've, you've kind of progressed from uh, maybe traditional styles into this, this, this kind of slightly newer way of different tools and mechanisms. Um, yeah. You know, why do you, what do you use? Why do you use what you use and, and why do you think it, it, it's effective? Yeah. So, I mean, for mo in terms of uh, my own training, I tend to do a lot of kettlebell work. That's something I've done from day dot, really, when I first uh, re-qualified as a PT and took my, started to work towards getting my own business off the ground was, you know, back in 2008, which was when I started my business. Kettlebells are relatively unheard of then in the UK. They were, you know, there was a few people using them, but hardly any. And, uh, and I just saw that I was looking at the time for a tool that was um, something that was transportable, something that was different to set me apart from 90% of other personal trainers at the time, but moreover, something that was highly effective as a training tool and delivered the best bang for the buck results. And I've, I found the kettlebell or the kettlebell found me 
And I never looked back once I started doing that. And since then, the kettlebell has formed the main basis of the training I've done, both with myself, but also my clients since then over time. Now, along the way, I've added additional things as well. So Bulgarian bags is another training tool that I absolutely love. In more recent times, the mace bell. Um, and those are, the, those are the main things I use the most, uh, especially with the clients I work with but also my own training. Um, and then, you know, in recent times, you know, I like a strong cardiovascular uh, element for myself. So that historically has been running in the past. That's formed a large part of training. Um, in more recent times this year, particularly uh, erg work on like the Concept 2 skier, Concept 2 bike, assault bike. Um, and then, you know, a little bit of dumbbell work as well. But I spent a lot of time doing a lot of barbell work, Nick, from sort of 2000 and um, when was it? About 2002 to, no, it was a bit longer than that. Actually, it was about six years of barbell work from about 2000. I'm just trying to, I can't even remember. 2006 to 2011 when I was a competitive powerlifter. And, um, you know, I moved away from, from the barbell stuff then because I was probably the least functionally fit then that I ever remember as a competitive powerlifter. You know, I was great at bench you know, not bad at squat, not bad at deadlift, but my overall fitness, my overall ability to do stuff was just, you know, shocking really. And that's what led me into the, the kettlebell approach is now I'm very much, I consider myself to be a hybrid athlete. You know, I want to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And, uh, and so therefore I, lo I love the combination of the kettlebells, the maces, the bags, the strength and conditioning work, uh, and then also the importance of endurance, whether that's hiking, running, you know, erg work, whatever. Awesome. Yeah. So, so it's interesting uh, that you've been sort of with the kettlebell for so long, really. I think 2008 yeah. was when I did my, my fitness qualifications as well. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and, and, and I think, although, it, you know, it is much more prevalent, uh, you know, the, 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 what I see you doing with it is, you know, and, and maybe you can talk a little bit around that is, mm. is, is kind of what people, what people are missing when it comes to kettlebell training. And cause I mean, <laughs> I don't know your experience, but you, you see everything going on online, don't you? In yeah, terms yeah. of people lifting yeah. different things in different ways. And, and yeah. some of it is like, mm, yeah, maybe that's quite interesting. And so I'm, I'm so I've experimented some of the, some of the sort of speed work and then the sort yeah. of uh, yeah. Mike Salemi stuff. But, um, but, but then you see the, you know some of the mainstream believe it or not some of the mainstream um brands out there and, and you're just really not sure how they're lifting that bit of kit in that fashion so, yeah, so yeah. What, what's your kind of um ethos when it comes to the kettlebell what, what do you think people should be yeah i mean i'm you know i did a number of kettlebell certifications over the years you know it was originally optimal life fitness back in the day um and that was in sort of 2008 and they had a bit of a kind of you know semi-sport style uh, approach which worked which worked for a number of years but then I did the um, strong first certification back in I think it was 2006 or seven I can't remember which and for me that was a game changer because that that moment when I did that certification over that weekend completely changed the way in which I coached kettlebells to my clients um, the strong first, for those who don't know, is a hard style based approach to kettlebell training. It uses principles of strength and tension form, um, as the foremost uh, skills, the ability to generate tension and stability and to be body aware so that you can therefore maximize strength and conditioning output is, is the kind of model. 
And what I recognized was, was most people are really not that conscious of their bodies. You know, they don't really know how to feel, how to generate tension, how to contract a muscle hard. Um, you know, they're not really into their bodies that way. Quite often people will just go through the motions of training that, you know, they might be on a treadmill watching friggin' EastEnders. You know, they're not in their body. They're not aware of what they're doing. They're not thinking about how they're moving. And I see the power of the kettlebell, not just in terms of strength and conditioning tool, but also as a massive opportunity to become incredibly self-aware and really learn the skills. And the, the kettlebell is a highly technical piece of kit to use if you do it right, is it gives an opportunity for massive personal growth and self-awareness has got huge carryover then into how we live our day-to-day -day lives and how we pick stuff up, carry stuff, operate and all of that all of that associated uh, in and around that arena. So, you know, I think with the kettlebell for me, it was um, just a great way of being able to teach people the idea of strength and conditioning safely with a structured way of doing it so they can understand and feel where it is that they're heading and why it all pieces together because the, the system that, um, that I learned through that was, was very kind of uh, practical, progressive and, and easy to understand. And that's that's a tough cert to get, isn't it? I think. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's modified over the years, but when I did it, it was all double kettlebells, apart from the snatch and the get up and the single arm swing. It was double kettlebell swing, double press, double squats, double press, double clean, single arm snatch, Turkish get up, um, and they were for me that was with double twenty fours. And it was, it was, you know, it was similar to the RKC cert, which was known as like the toughest kettlebell cert to pass. One of the things being that you had to do 100 snatches in less than five minutes with a 24 kilo kettlebell. Well, you can't, you know, most people can't just rock up to a weekend and just do that. That takes a serious amount of training for that kind of kettlebell. And so it did, you know, they prided themselves on trying to separate out the wheat from the chaff and and getting the people who were really wanting to be a solid instructor and putting the work in so they understood what it takes to get to a level of, you know, strong strength and conditioning um, through the certification process. And like I say, it's, it's a fantastic certification game changer. Mm, interesting. Yeah, because I think there's, there's ways and means to use different tools, isn't there? There is, of course there is. Yeah, yeah. And for me, you know, I've done some kettlebell sport in the past. It's a great modality of training. You know, I just lean more towards that aspect of it. And, you know, it relates well to a lot, you know, the, the kind of clients that I work with, it relates well to their needs. If I was more interested in kettlebell sport, no doubt I'd have more kettlebell sport style clients. That isn't where my interest lies. You know, it's where my interest lies is who I end up working with. And that's pretty much what I've observed within my business. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's just natural, isn't it? Especially if if you're if you're carving out the business that you want, you, you yeah. know, and, and that's the, I think that's the beauty of of you know. And that I feel very fortunate to be in this space, is you, you get to work with people that you want to work with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you attract them in, mate, based upon you know the energy that you put out, and whatever your thing is that you're into, the people are going to see that, resonate with it, and be attracted to you, and and that's what you you know that's what you uh, you attract in, and that's how you end up working for the most part. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So, so what, what, what's, what's, what's kind of new and, and exciting for you in, 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 in the fitness space and what's, what's the next challenge going to well, be? Well, you know, mate, I don't think there's anything new out there in the fitness space, really. <laughs> you might get some gadget that comes out that's meant to overhaul and transform this, that and the other, but really in terms of, you know, physicality, there's nothing really new out there. There's just different ways of doing the same kind of stuff. And so it takes a lot for me to get 
excited about anything that it has not already really been done. You know, I can see merits in things that I kind of look around, but to be honest, I think Nick, for the most part, you know, and the people who we work with is the basics done well will take you a bloody long way in your fitness and health career. And actually you could do the basics for the rest of your life. So do we need to be being distracted by the latest bells and whistles thing? Possibly not. You know, if, if it interests you, go and do it. Find out for yourself is what I say, you know, but you know, how I coach people is one of helping people to move better helping people to become more body aware, doing the basics really, really well, and then just seeing what emerges from that space. But, you know, there's no one training modality that's any better than the other. You know, for a while, everything works, especially when you've got somebody who's done relatively little training in the past. So, you know, you can overthink, I think, programs, especially as a beginner PT, trying to get the latest, uh, how can I deliver the best possible session? We'll make it basic you know, get them doing it effectively, communicate well with them, have fun while you're doing it. They're going to love that session rather than whether it's a 15 minute AMREP of the most complex things you could ever throw together. You know, that doesn't make for a good workout. Absolutely. <laughs> um, cool. So, um, but what, personally, what, 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 what challenges are you, are you going to, is it more mountains that you, you want to climb? What, what's, 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 uh, what's kind of like got your ear at the moment or yeah, you're building so, the business? What's Yeah. Well, at the moment, so massive kind of, uh, output on the business I've, you know, since this COVID thing happened is, you know, I had to shift my business way more online, uh, which I, I wanted to do. I just hadn't had the need to do it, but it forced my hand this year, which was actually a blessing in disguise. Um, so yeah, just con con continuing to build uh, the online uh, stuff in terms, and when I say online stuff, I've got a MACE course that is out. Um, I'm going to continue to put more educational packages together. I've got a MACE certification happening in uh, 2021, which is exciting. That'll be the first UK-based certification to go out. Uh, for coaches and, and enthusiasts who want to learn the mace and, and achieve a certification at the end, which means they can get insured on it. Um, but in terms of my own, you know, fitness-based goals, is at the moment loosely, um, it's more high-altitude mountaineering for me. So next year, obviously, situation depending, then uh, Mount Elbrus in Russia is uh, is on the agenda. Um, potentially Mont Blanc it would nice to be do those in the same year but if not this year then Mont Blanc next and then the five-year plan not that I really have five-year plans but I've got a loose um, intention to uh, get out to the Himalayas and have a stab at Manasalu which is an 8,000 meter peak and that for me wow. is going to be one of the ultimate goals but then you know if I achieve that who knows beyond that you know I just never know you just I like to see what emerges over time based upon where my interests go. <laughs> well, uh, you can you can put my name down for Elbrus. I'd definitely be up for that. It's something yeah, I've yeah, talked yeah. to my brother about. But um, Mont Blanc is is by far the most beautiful mountain that I've yeah. I've had the fortune to summit. Not I'm not yeah, that yeah. I'm, I'm not I wouldn't call myself a mountaineer by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, but no, that's cool. It's cool to hear. And the, yeah. the Mace Bell stuff is is fascinating to me as well. Um, and you know, the pro progressing that new modality is, is really interesting. And I, I like the, I like the way that you're, that you, you've got quite a methodical approach to understanding a skill 
yeah. learning it to an extremely high level and mm. then trying to to, to 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 educate people in it i think that's the yeah. you know that cycle um i did a podcast oh, i think it's one of the very first podcasts i did with a guy called alex nino which is he's like the handstand go-to handstand yeah, expert yeah. in yeah, london yeah. awesome bloke some of the things he can do is just yeah. blows yeah. your mind and his his kind of practitioner approach to um, everything that he did was was exactly that cycle of kind of understanding it at a very granular level and then you know bring it into your own practice yeah. deeply and and then trying to trying to you know bring other people up to to a, to a similar standard i think it's a, it's a really nice mindset to have um as opposed to kind of just going out there and, and just seeking to kind of like oh i can do that i can do that i can do that i can do that and move on to the next yeah. thing wherever it might be in that that regard yeah, so yeah. It's good to hear man thanks um yeah i i mean we i'm sure i could chat to chat to you for for, for a long lot longer but but you know i i i, I want to respect your time uh matt and and definitely i want to kind of bring you back on um and and dive into detail and and maybe turn it into a kind of bit of a q a on the next episode and and yeah, kind of and, and see how we get on um and you're only just down the road from me as well so maybe yeah, we, at some maybe. some point we can do face to face god forbid um in this day and age but um but yeah i think so you know um i just want to acknowledge like the the good work that you're doing and the 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 level of of integrity that i see coming through in in the work that you do and the the posts that you put on social media um and you know as a as an all-round athlete i think you've kind of really got your head screwed on in in terms of understanding your own not only your own body over the years that you've trained but also the the mindset required to actually coach effectively um and and you know the bits you talked about there about mindset and resilience and 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 the 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 way it gels together i think is is massive and it's a huge aspect of, of everything that we we try and yeah. achieve as coaches yeah. um so i acknowledge you for that matt and uh thank you very much for coming on the podcast it's been a pleasure nick thanks very much for inviting me no worries dude there we go uh, how did we find that one i'm really interested in your feedback on that episode with matt i think uh, what, what strikes me when communicating with matt we're having chats with him firstly is the, the depth of his knowledge um when it comes to coaching and training and also the, the kind of no-nonsense gritty approach that, that I, 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 I love and, and kind of gravitate towards um, because there's a, there's a lot of fluff and noise out there in the space and, and you can just tell this guy is direct and, and that really um, resonates with me and I think probably lots of you guys listening. Awesome. Thank you for listening all the way through. I really appreciate it. Uh, please uh, like, subscribe, give us a review on whatever app you're listening to that does make a massive difference gets this podcast out to more and more people um also uh you can follow matt um at coaching sure on instagram i think it's where he he builds uh, most of his creative content and does an amazing job and uh, obviously you can you can find me on the socials at elemental underscore nick um great to have you on board share this with someone you care about and i will see you on the next episode